So the Democratic Party is the party of infanticide. We'll talk about that and an author with some insight into the healing of sexual brokenness. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. You know, there's some things that are so extreme, so intense, just reporting them sounds like you're exaggerating. Just telling the simple facts, it feels like you're making something up. That's not the case. We're reporting facts and truth as disturbing as they may be, but with hope, as always, here on The Line of Fire. Michael Brown, welcome to the broadcast. Great to be back in our studio after a great time of ministry in California this past weekend, back in California this coming weekend, by the way, just briefly. But uh, to all of you that greeted me face-to-face, those of you that listen regularly to the podcast, that watch us on YouTube or online in other settings, great to meet you face-to-face. A real, real delight. Thanks for your gracious and encouraging words. Number to call if you want to weigh in on today's subject, 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-788. Eight eight four. All right, here's the background. Over the years, there have been attempts to pass bills that would protect babies born alive after an attempted abortion. So the baby somehow survives the abortion, and this baby would now be guaranteed medical care. As a Senator, Barack Obama voted against this. Now, he claimed that if it wasn't tied in with abortion restrictions, he would have voted for it. The fact is, he voted against a bill like this. Well, Senator Ben Sass wants to put on record where the Democrats stand. So he has been pushing daily, 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 daily for a vote. Block, 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 trying to get a vote. Finally got a vote yesterday. And as LifeNews.com reports, Senate Democrats block bill to stop infanticide and care for babies born alive after abortions. Let me repeat that. Senate Democrats blocked this. They voted against it. All 44 Democrat senators that voted left-wing Bernie Sanders joined in as well. Strikingly, look at this, all six, all six, I'll say it again, All six of the Democratic senators currently running for the 2020 presidential nomination voted against the bill. Who specifically? Cory Booker, Sherrod Brown, Kirsten Gillibrand, Kamala Harris, Amy Klobuchar, and Elizabeth Warren, along with independent Bernie Sanders. I mean, you want to talk about being the party of death, being the party of infanticide, making their votes clear and known. There needed to be 60 votes to go ahead with official vote on the bill. The Democrats stopped that from happening. Here's here's what President Trump tweeted out in response. Senate Democrats just voted against legislation to prevent the killing of newborn infant children. The Democrat position on abortion is now so extreme that they don't mind executing babies after birth. This we remembered as one of the most shocking votes in the history of Congress. If there is one thing we should all agree on, it's protecting the lives of innocent babies. What does the bill 
actually say? Uh, maybe it tied in with abortion. Maybe it actually was related to abortion and, and, and was going to restrict a woman's, quote, right to abortion. Now, remember, you're only talking about a baby that can survive outside the womb, a baby that is born alive. Here's what the bill actually says. Let me read this to you. This is the Born Alive Infants Protection Act. Section 1532, requirements pertaining to born alive abortion survivors. A, requirements for healthcare practitioners in the case of an abortion or attempted abortion that results in a child born alive. One, degree of care required, immediate admission to a hospital. Any healthcare practitioner present at the time the child is born alive shall A, exercise the same degree of professional skill, care, and diligence to preserve the life and health of the child as a reasonably diligent and conscientious healthcare practitioner would render to any other child born alive at the same gestational age, and B, follow the exercise of skill, care, and diligence required under subparagraph A, ensure that the child born alive is immediately transported and admitted to a hospital. Two, mandatory reporting of violations. A healthcare practitioner or any employee of a hospital, a physician's office, or an abortion clinic who has knowledge of a failure to comply with the requirements of paragraph one shall immediately report the failure to an appropriate statute, state, or federal law enforcement agency or to both penalties in general. Whoever, <coughs> excuse me, whoever violates subsection A shall be fined under this title, imprisoned for not more than five years or both. Two, intentional killing of child born alive, whether Whoever intentionally performs or attempts to perform an overt act that kills a child born alive described under subsection A shall be punished as under section 1111 of this title for intentionally killing or attempting to kill human being. It's pretty forthright. It's pretty simple for legal language. If the baby survives an abortion, you must give it the exact same care that you would give to a baby that was born under other circumstances at that same gestational age. So if it's eight and a half months, if it's eight months, whatever the appropriate care is, you have to get that baby to a hospital. If someone sees this happen, just go ahead, let the baby die. That must be reported. If someone says, ah, I'm going to, it's going to kill the baby. The parents wanted to kill the mother wanted to kill. I was going to kill the baby. Then, then that person will be guilty of a crime, of killing a baby outside the womb. Here's, here's what Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said before the vote. He said, it isn't about restrictions on abortion. He's telling the truth. It isn't about changing the options available to women. Telling the truth again. It's just about recognizing that a newborn baby is a newborn baby, period. It is that simple. It is. He said this. Can the extreme far-left politics surrounding abortion really have come this far? Are we really supposed to think that it's normal that there are now two sides debating whether a newborn, whether newborn living babies deserve medical attention? Friends, we have been sounding the alarm. We have been shouting this out. There have been other articles written for years about the shift left to justify infanticide. After all, if it's fine to kill a baby, let's say the baby has severe health defects, severe handicap. And this baby, best thing to do is terminate that baby in the womb, even at eight and a half, eight and three quarter months. This is the best thing to do for everybody, for the baby. It's compassion. Well, why not do it once the child's outside the womb and you can tell for sure that it has this handicap or this problem? You see the deadly logic. So Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer, he's got to put a spin on it, why he's going to vote against this. 
He said the bill is, quote, carefully crafted to target, intimidate, and shut down reproductive health care providers. In other words, abortion clinics, abortion doctors. Uh, false. False. As much as I would be thrilled if it was calculated to shut them down, that's not what the bill is about. Fact. Read the bill. The bill is self-evident. He claimed this. He said the bill would impose requirements on what type of care doctors must provide in certain circumstances, even if that care is ineffective, contradictory to medical evidence, and against the family's wishes. Uh, first, that's nonsense. It's saying the same care must be provided for any other child born under those circumstances. Uh, unless, unless he's now saying that if the parents decide we, we do not want that baby, that's why we tried to abort the baby. The fact that the baby survived the abortion doesn't give it a right to life. Put it to death outside the womb, unless he's saying that the parents have the right to make that decision. Or, or unless the physicians have the right to say, nah, uh, we don't think that baby's viable. I wrote an article about this a week or two ago. Who decides whether the baby's viable? It was with a dear brother a few months back quoted him in the article when he was born, his parents say he's not viable. He's got no arms. He's not going to have a normal life, a full life. Well, he's thriving. He's blessed. He's in ministry. He's married. He has children. And he does everything anyone would want to do, amazingly, without arms and with a great spirit about him. Who's to, who's to say? I mean, maybe it's only the healthiest and the strongest. I mean, doesn't this sound a little bit like eugenics? Doesn't this sound a little bit like Nazi Aryan supremacy? where, you know, only the fittest race should survive. Wasn't the Nazis that started to exterminate elderly, handicapped, mentally ill? Didn't they slaughter perfectly healthy, mentally ill young people so they could use their brains for studies? How far is it then to start killing others? Parasites like Jews and gypsies and others get rid of the unwanted ones. Friends, this is sick. I don't have a large Twitter following. We're much more active on Facebook in terms of our following. We've got 30-something thousand on, on Twitter. But I, I got an immediate response to this tweet uh, last night at 1030. Today, 44 Democrats voted against protecting the lives of newborn babies who survive abortion. This is beyond sick. It is satanic. Already well over 1,000 likes, which for my, my Twitter account is meaning people are really saying amen to that. But it's not all bad news. Not all bad news. Life News also reported this. A new poll shows Americans much more pro-life after Democrats push infanticide and abortions up to birth. There was a swing, friends, of 17% from one poll to another. What, what, 17%? I mean, normally the abortion debate is going to 1% here, 2% there, back and forth over a period of years. 17% swing when questions were asked. Why? It seems to be a direct result to Democrats pushing aggressively as in New York State and Vermont and other states for abortion right up to the moment of birth. Even for alleged mental health issues of the mother, emotional health, I, I just can't see having a baby. I can't handle it. All right, kill the baby. Totally viable baby. Instead of deliver the baby and adopt the baby, no. <clears throat> kill the baby. 
And then Governor of Virginia and others say, well, you know, infanticide. I mean, this is some cases like this. Yeah, the baby's born alive and maybe it's, it was going to be severely handicapped and suffer a lot. That's why the parents did the compassionate thing, tried to kill it in the womb, made it outside the womb, kill it anyway. Friends, the tide is turning. As we always say, Satan overplays his hand. And this stuff is from the pit. All right. I want to talk to you about a new movie coming out when we come back, as well as a very, very important vote in the Methodist Church. If you want to join in, 866-348-7884. When it comes to vote in 2020, never, never forget those who voted for infanticide yesterday. We'll be right It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Yeah, so this is, uh, this is a major vote. Uh, just today, the Tennessean reports, United Methodist delegates reject plan allowing same-sex marriage and LGBT clergy. Uh, this was about to rip apart the Methodist church, and it still might but the conclusion was scripturally and in the Methodist guidelines for morality and making decision, the various ways that Methodists will come to these determinations, there was no justification for same-sex, quote, marriage or active LGBT individuals in clergy. So the scripture book of discipline conclusion was does not allow these things. Now, there was a proposal that the church as a whole would allow this, but individual churches and leaders that did not agree would be protected. Uh, it did not prevail. If it was just left to certain parts of the states, it would obviously easily prevail. If it was left to believers, conservative believers in other parts of the world who are Methodists, it wouldn't even be voted for. But ultimately, in my opinion, something like this, is going to result in a split sooner or later that either there'll be a real revival of, of a scriptural Methodism that is Jesus loving and following in the principles of John Wesley that would not even consider something like this, uh, at which point the liberal churches would then break away and form their own denomination, Methodist denomination, which would quickly decline in numbers and vitality because it's on the wrong side of these issues, or the church would go further left and further in the way of apostasy, in which case the conservative churches would then break away, form their own denomination, which to the extent they were following the Lord in an active way would grow and thrive and prosper. So uh, the vote uh, was 374 to 449. So whatever the proposal was failed by 75 votes, but just shows you how deeply divided the Methodist church is over these issues. You can expect this to happen. A division on, on the one hand, a division on the one hand is negative unless it's for righteous purposes. In other words, unity is good. 
And God calls us to preserve unity and strive for unity, but not unity with compromise. In other words, if I'm working with brothers and sisters, we're all believers, we hold to the fundamentals of the faith, and we're seeking to stand for life in our city. We're pushing back against abortion and radical abortion activism. It's important that we're unified working together as one honoring one another. If, if we're trying to help the poor and the needy and reach the lost, and we're so divided that we can't even think about anybody else because of our church splits, and yet we're all one in the Lord, then, then that's, that's tragic. On the flip side, if unity comes at the cost of denial of Scripture, then it's not unity because we're no longer unified with the Lord. If, if unity calls for us to deny fundamental biblical convictions, then it's better that we separate. It's better that we divide. So on the one hand, you hate to see division. On the other hand, sometimes it's healthy and necessary. When one group goes in the wrong direction, the other group must say, we will follow the Lord no matter what. We'll be gracious. We'll do our best to reach out. We'll have compassion, but we must do what is right and follow our convictions. Okay, there's a movie coming out called Unplanned. It's the story of Abby Johnson, who was an employee of the year with Planned Parenthood, involved in multiple thousands of abortions as a Planned Parenthood clinic director. And while watching an ultrasound of a baby, as an abortion was being performed, she realized she was on the wrong side, that she was sinning. She left that career behind and has given herself to the pro-life movement. A Pure Flix will be distributing the movie. They distributed God's Not Dead 1 and 2. And the movie Unplanned, scheduled to open on 800 screens on March 29th. And by the way, if you want to realize how pro-abortion Hollywood is, all right, just look at some of these headlines from the oh, last couple of years. January 4th, 2019, Hollywood glorifies pro-abortion Ruth Bader Ginsburg in new biofilm. August 22nd, 2018, Hollywood celebrities now celebrating abortion with pro-abortion jewelry. August 15th, 2018, Mila Kunis's ignorant comments reveal how pro-abortion Hollywood is. September 26, 2017, Hollywood makes its position on abortion clear with three pro-choice films. All right, so this is going to open on 800 screens March 29th. You can expect post protest. You can expect pushback. You can expect opposition, character assassination, and everything. I have a book coming out in August called Jezebel's War with America. You better believe this is part of that war. So uh, the, the movie, though, was given an R rating. There's no profanity and no sexual scenes, no gratuitous violence, but the images of abortion are considered disturbing. So, so check this out. Here's a woman helped over 22,000 women have abortions during her time at, at one clinic. And the, the filmmakers, uh, let me just get their names here, uh, Carrie Solomon and Chuck Konzelman. Uh, listen to what they say, all right? Uh Let's go down here. Okay. They point out that many teenage women in this country who can legally obtain an actual abortion without parental permission will be prohibited from going to see our film containing simulated images of abortion without obtaining 
parental permission. I, I mean, it's pretty, pretty extraordinary, isn't it? That a 16-year-old girl can, can decide on her own without her parents knowing to have an abortion. And, you know, you're talking about one of the most difficult traumatic decisions a woman can ever make, a decision that she may regret the rest of her life, a decision that could affect her health, her ability to conceive in the future, a decision that will terminate the life of the baby in the womb. I understand certain circumstances of something happened. Maybe she went too far with her boyfriend and now she's pregnant and her parents find out, you know, her life could be threatened. I mean, she was in some Islamic society and, you know, her life would be threatened. Or, you know, in other certain fundamentalist circles in America that you know, it that might be it. You know, she's unforgivable. I don't know how I, I'm not I'm not saying it's an easy decision. But the fact is, in many states, she could make that decision entirely on her own without the parents ever knowing about it. They, they might never know she was pregnant. They might never know she had an abortion. All right. And yet to go to go see a movie, to go see a movie she would have to be accompanied by an adult, someone over 17. Extraordinary, isn't it? You have the abortion. You could be 16 and have the abortion, but you can't be 16 and go see a movie about abortion. How extraordinary is that? How telling is that? Abby Johnson said this, we are pushing the boundaries of what has never been before on such a wide scale by showing America exactly what abortion is. And abortion is disturbing. It's violent. She said, in my opinion, one of the most impactful films of our time is The Passion of the Christ. It was rated R, so I feel like Unplanned is in good company. And our rating from the MPAA isn't going to slow this movie down. I believe people are ready for the truth. What's going to happen to the theaters that show this movie? Mm. What's going to happen to the 800 that announce it? How how many will, will pull the plug before they even show it. And, and then how much will this only stir interest and spur interest in the movie? I was reading an article on, on the stream.org. You can read my latest article there on the stream or on our website, askdrbrown.org, where we explain how Hollywood has given abortion an R rating. But I was reading another article on the stream, and the author said this, this could be the Uncle Tom's Cabin. This could be the Uncle Tom's cabin, just as uh, things swung with Harriet Beecher Stowe's novel, Uncle Tom's Cabin, in the mid-1800s and turned hearts against slavery for the liberty and liberation and equality of the slaves. The same way this author was saying, maybe this could do this for abortion. Uh, Let me just say this. When I had to choose between voting for Donald Trump and voting for Hillary Clinton. I voted for Donald Trump. One major reason being Hillary Clinton was so strongly pro-abortion and president Trump had said that he would stand for life and that he would appoint pro-life justices. In that regard, he has done even more than I expected. In that regard, he has been more consistent In that regard now that the Democrats continue to show their extreme bloodlust for abortion and a so-called woman's right to abortion as they continue to go farther and farther to the extreme of death. Yes, 
voting for infanticide. That's what they did. President Trump continues to speak up for life. So for those who say, how could you vote for him as an evangelical Christian? This, this, is, this is a major reason why. And I'm not in the least bit ashamed of it when I see where the stakes are. And where I see where the Democrats are going in 2020, if it was President Trump and any of these candidates, easy choice, easy choice for all the man's flaws and shortcomings when it comes to how extreme the issues have now become and how far left the Democrat Party continues to lurch. Easy choice in 2020 when it comes to these life and death issues. Like it or not, I'm not saying this to be politically correct or to get your favor approval. I'm just speaking the truth as much as I understand it. All right, friends, we'll be back with David Kyle Foster, a man who came out of a lot of sexual sin and a lot of sexual brokenness, has a major book on healing the sexual brokenness. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. If I was going to give life and death advice to someone, they may want to know, well, what are your credentials? Uh, On what basis are you giving this advice? Who are you to speak about these things? And if it's really life and death advice, I would want to be able to back that up with life and death experience. I would want to be able to back that up with fruit of years of counseling people in these very areas so that they would know what I have to say is reliable. It's the same with my guest today, Dr. David Kyle Foster, author of a major work now in a new edition, Sexual Healing Reference Edition, A Biblical Guide to Finding Freedom from Every Major Area of Sexual Sin and Brokenness. actually wrote the foreword to this new edition. David Foster knows what it is to be lost in sin, to be lost in rebellion, and in sexual brokenness and addiction. He knows what it is to be set free and redeemed. He knows what it is to help others. So, friends, if you're listening right now, whether you are addicted to pornography whether you are caught up in deep same-sex attractions and you don't know the way out, whether there's another area in your life of sexual sin or sexual brokenness, listen carefully. You're going to be helped. And if you'd like to call, you can call anonymously. If you'd like to share what's going on in your own life and you need counsel or help or the life of someone close to you, you can do it anonymously. 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-7884. David, welcome back to the broadcast. Thanks for joining us today. It's great to be with you. So, uh, David, uh, in in short, what did God deliver you from, and how long ago did he do that? Well, it started out with uh, masturbation at nine, and then it um, developed into porn use, which became a major addiction throughout my life. Uh, that then developed into heterosexual immorality, followed by homosexual immorality. That morphed into male prostitution and um, voyeurism, exhibitionism. I mean, I was, I did everything you can think of practically before the Lord uh, turned me around. And how many years ago did he do that? 
Uh, that was in 1980, so that would be what 39 years. 39 years. So, so you're you can actually testify that Jesus really can set us free from from the worst of addictions and bondages and perversions. You're you're a living testimony to that. Absolutely, and he does it by um, calling you into salvation through repentance and giving your life to Jesus Christ. And then he calls you into an intimate relationship with God the Father, whereby he then communicates to you the roots behind your behavior. The sexual behavior is really only a symptom. It's the root traumas of life um, that cause you to run to those behaviors. Mm. So why, why is it, since you preach repentance, you preach holiness— you hold to the fundamentals of the gospel. You have a, a D-man from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. You, you've served as an adjunct professor at schools like Asbury Theological Seminary. So you're a man that knows the word, knows theology. And as I said, you preach repentance and holiness. Why not just refer to sexual sin? Why do you also refer to sexual brokenness? Well, that's because uh, behind the sexual sin, sinful behavior are traumas. So, uh, for for example, a person who has been sexually abused is sexually broken, because in the aftermath of that abuse, they become afraid of of the opposite sex, perhaps, or the same sex, perhaps. Um, They feel a lot of self-hatred. They feel guilt. Uh, They make vows. uh, They start believing lies about themselves. So there's a lot of brokenness in the aftermath of... uh, the various traumas of life. And so that's why I say sexual sin and brokenness. Got it. Got it. So we're responsible for our actions, but behind our actions are often negative life experiences, traumas, uh, hurts we've received. We're responsible for what we do, but if we can understand why or get to the root of it, then often that's where transformation comes from. And, And David, in all that you do, as much as you hold to biblical standards of holiness, as much as you're quite forthright in your communication, you're tremendously compassionate. Everything you produce is compassionate. When you see so much sin and rebellion and all the activism in the world around us and you know extreme things like drag queens reading to toddlers and libraries and things like that, it's easy to get angry. But you're not motivated by anger as much as motivated by compassion. Is, is that because God's been so gracious in your own life? Precisely. Yeah, if if he hadn't saved me and transformed me out of so much, um, a dissolute life, really, um, I probably would have been very judgmental. In fact, that was my first inclination after getting saved. I was going to set out and correct everybody in the world, and I was going to heal myself, and, and I was just going to launch out into this performance-based attempt to change my life. And fortunately, um, God showed me that right off the bat. I mean, in the first week of getting saved, he pointed out that I could not fix myself, and I did not have the power to change, and that I would have to rely on him 100% if I wanted uh, the power to be transformed from the inside out. There are a lot of maintenance programs out there where you follow certain programs that psychologists over the decades have come up with. 
And many of them are good in terms of helping you to stop the behavior. But none of them transform you from the inside out so that the drive to go back to those sexual sins um, is uh, depowered. So um, you emphasize grace and transformation from the inside out, which, of course, I affirm, confirm, agree with 100 percent. And I want folks to understand, whoever you are, maybe you didn't fall into the depths to which David fell. Maybe your your sexual attractions, addictions, bondages are much more within the realm of what's considered acceptable. Either way, we sin, we fall short. Either way, we're in rebellion against God. Either way, we need help, we need salvation, repentance, healing. So your book sexual healing reference edition and friends this is a substantial substantial volume uh, who who is it for give me a list of people that will be helped by going through this book well i've always written for two audiences uh, first i write for leaders in the church because most seminaries have no courses whatsoever and how a pastor is to respond to sexual sin and brokenness and so when the sexually broken person goes to see their pastor, very highly likely that they won't get much help at all. So uh, our ministry has always set out to equip the Church to do this ministry of the Church. But second, and so and so, I wrote this as a reference edition so that a pastor could keep it on a shelf and refer to it, or a counselor, or a ministry leader, as people came to them for help in areas that they didn't know how to help them. But it's also a book that the counselor or the pastor can then turn around and give the person who's in bondage, because it's uh, laid out so that, um, in very simple language, so that anybody can find out how God transforms the sexually broken person. And it has um, exercises at the end of each chapter. Um, It has a study section at the end of each chapter so that you could teach it in a Sunday school class or a parachurch ministry or, you know, it's, it's, it's a 500 page book. So it's quite comprehensive for both audiences. Yeah. And when I was going through it, David, so I I looked at the overall content contents and then I I read uh, very intensely in in certain sections and then spot checked section after section uh, in in order to to do a good job of, of writing the forward for the book. And what blessed me was that, it was scriptural and it was practical. In other words, there was good biblical theology dealing with issues, dealing about sin, dealing with sin and holiness and things like that. There were clear understandings from a psychological perspective in terms of what, what people were dealing with. But then with the solutions, there were, there were practical steps that, that people could take. And, and I want to give some examples so we'll get started. We've got a few minutes before the break. We'll, we'll continue afterwards. Let's just say you've got uh, a 19-year-old young man. He's not married, but he's addicted to porn. First, how far can a porn addiction go? I mean, what, what kind of things are we talking about today in the church where you've got church-going people and they're, they're, they're praying, they're reading the Bibles, they're, they're quote, trying and yet they're addicted to porn. How, how far do these addictions go? Well, uh, according to psychologists, um, they often end up in self-harm, where you're so obsessed um, 
and so driven to get rid of the pain in your life that you actually end up hurting yourself in the process when mm. you're practicing it. So, uh, and it also rewires the brain. Uh, Dr. William Struthers has written a great uh, book on this called Wired for Intimacy, and he describes from a scientific perspective what looking at pornography over and over again does to your brain. It actually changes your brain mm. so that when you begin the healing process, it's much more difficult because it's now an addiction on top of a response to trauma. Got it. So so we're, we're talking genuine addictions here. We're not just talking about, man, I, you know, I, I keep being drawn to this. You're, you're drawn because there, there's something powerful, spiritual and physical. And David, can we really solve this problem if we don't deal with it holistically? In other words, if we, if we don't understand the, the whole process of what goes on with an addiction, can we deal with it just piecemeal or do we need to treat this holistically? No, you have to be willing to do whatever it takes. Um, and, I, and I tell that, you know, when, when somebody comes to me and I sit down with them, the first thing I do is try to discern whether they're willing to do whatever it takes. Because if they're not, if there's a certain limit that they have on what they will do, then the power of God's not going to flow. I call it the pearls before swine principle, whereby God does not give what is precious, to those who don't yet recognize it as precious. Mm. And, and his power and, and grace is as precious as his blood was when he died on that cross. Yeah, friends, wise words from Dr. David Kyle Foster. The book, Sexual Healing Reference Edition. Pastors, leads get it. Everyone dealing with these issues, your own life, friends' lives, get the book. We'll be right back. It's The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Friends, I'm speaking with Dr. David Kyle Foster. He is the author of the new edition of the Sexual Healing Reference Edition, a biblical guide to finding freedom from every major area of sexual sin and brokenness. By the way, that's not an overstatement. That's what the book is. That's what the book covers. Once you get a copy, be sure to go on Amazon and post a review to let others know. Uh, David and I first joined together for ministry some years back when I was in Orlando, uh, did some recording for him. And not long after that, I got a note from a young woman in the Far East, and she said uh, she was trying to follow the Lord, struggling with lesbianism, got caught up in a lesbian relationship, didn't see any way out, saw our video, and for the first time saw real compassion in addressing these issues, and she got wonderfully set free. When I was in that country a few years ago, she gave me a handwritten letter with her testimony, one of, one of the most precious letters I ever received. But David, you've, you've had some real opposition to your ministry. Uh, what happened on Vimeo with your videos? Well, I got a notice from Vimeo one day about our 800-plus videos, um, most of which are not about homosexuality. They're about child abuse and sex trafficking and 
sex addiction and just everybody, everything you can think of. And they said uh, they were objecting against the idea that the blood of Jesus Christ could bring healing to the homosexual. And that I was going to have to take down all the offending videos that talked about homosexuality being uh, a brokenness. And so I emailed them back and I said, well, which videos are this? Because we've always been compassionate. We've always been loving. Uh, there's, we never condemn or create shame in a, for a sexually broken person. And their reply was, uh, we're not going to tell you. We don't have the time. You're just going to have to take them down. <laughs> mm. So then I pointed out all of the videos uh, on other subjects and the fact that we had gotten emails and comments from all over the world, some of which came from people who were going to commit suicide before they watched one of our videos. Mm. So I told Vimeo, if you take these videos down, you're, you know, you're leaving a, uh, a gap in a resource for people who might even be taking their lives. They couldn't, couldn't have cared less. They took them all down, even the ones not about homosexuality. So they were intent on taking them down from the very start. They were just playing a game at the beginning. Extraordinary. I mean, we've had enough issues to face, but, but never something like this where you have so many videos up helping so many people, and that was your major platform. That's gone. And, of course, you've experienced opposition with other videos, DVDs you've put out. I want folks to know about these resources, how they can get them. Let's talk about Such Were Some of You. What's that about? Well, that's the documentary film, and it's, it features 26 former homosexuals uh, telling their testimony. And in the beginning of the uh, film, we have Dr. Brown and we have Dr. Robert Gagnon, who's uh, probably the world's top biblical scholar on what the Bible says about homosexual confusion. Uh, we had Neil Anderson, just a, a great lineup, not only of experts, but then testimonies from former homosexuals. It's very powerful. And we now have it online for free. So if you go to our uh, YouTube page, uh, you can watch it at no cost. And the YouTube page is? It is YouTube.com. I'm going to have to quickly look it up. Well, just get, um, if we give the name, we search for the name. Is it Pure Passion? Okay, here it is. YouTube.com slash user slash David Kyle Foster. Okay, David, there we go. So if you go to YouTube, search for David Kyle Foster, and then you can watch for free. And I remember when you made that decision because your ministry needs income like everyone else, but you thought it's more important we get the message out. What about perhaps an even more controversial video that you put out with former transgender individuals? Yes, um, that's, that's our latest video. And uh, we have, um, I think, 12 to 14 former transgenders in this film. Uh, the film begins with experts once again. We do a short history of transgenderism um, throughout the centuries, going way back in the B.C. areas. And then we bring in a little history, a more modern history of the transgender movement. That's followed by experts like Dr. Joseph Nicolosi, Dr. James Anderson uh, from Reform Seminary in, in Charlotte, and others, and then we get into the testimonies, which are always my favorite part, because people 
are just overwhelmed by the mercy and grace of the Lord and his transforming power. And they've all left the transgender lifestyle and now serve Christ with all of their heart. Mm. I, I was reading a story of a woman who identifies as a lesbian now and is talking with regret, maybe what she's 19, 20 years old, uh, about the fact that she has no breasts now because she had them surgically removed a couple years earlier, thinking that she was uh, a, a boy trapped in a girl's body and doctors agreed. And now she's realized I'm a woman. I'm a woman. So even though she's still confused in terms of sexual orientation and things like that, here she is not, not as a conservative Christian fundamentalist activist, but as a lesbian saying, I made a terrible mistake. So uh, the, the weight of these things is so massive and yet society has shifted so radically. It feels to me, David, like we've moved from confusion to delusion. Do you think I'm overstating things? Not at all. You know, 40% of transgender people will try to take their life. Uh, in terms of homosexuals, um, you have a very high suicide rate, three to five times higher than uh, the average among heterosexuals. And there's a great darkness descending on our on our nation and our world. Uh, the dark is getting very dark. Uh, since I was <laughs> a young kid, I wouldn't have even dreamed we'd be where we are now. But the good thing about that is that makes the light all the more obvious and all the more brighter. And so as we approach these people, who maybe this transgender lady who now regrets what she did, um, and we tell them of the love that Jesus has for her and the identity that he intended for her to have and can impart to her as she gets healed from the things that caused her brokenness. Uh, these people light up like nobody I've ever seen. Uh, this population is probably the most broken I've ever come across. They're very fragile, and they need love, and they need grace, and they need the truth. They need somebody to hold their hand and walk them through not only this regret, but also the brokenness that created the whole situation. So, so David, if, if uh, let's say there's a parent listening, and let's say they've got a 12-year-old child confused about gender identity or a 14-year-old child that's come out and said, I'm gay. Will your book, Sexual Healing Reference Edition, will it help that parent have wisdom and insight into how better to minister to their own child? Oh, yes. Um, I mean, when, when we talk about each chapter on an issue of sexual brokenness, we talk about what generates um, the inclinations that they have, no matter which inclination it is. Uh, it's very much a spiritual battle from the start. It's exacerbated by what men do to each other. It's, For example, transgender people. Uh, I've never met a transgender person who wasn't sexually abused as a child. Uh, <clears throat> now, that's huge uh, as a causal factor. Same with lesbians. 65 to 85% of lesbians are sexual abuse victims. Over half of male homosexuals are sexual abuse victims. And it baffles my it boggles my mind that the psychological profession is pretending like there's nothing wrong there, just move along. Uh, when that's clearly a causal factor. So a parent, when they 
sit down with their child, they, they may not be able to help their child a lot because there's so many interfamily issues going on that can create blocks. You know, like the child might have some secret things that they think the parent did wrong and, and they hold these grudges. And so uh, many times they can't hear the parent because of that. So getting getting the child to a ministry, having them watch uh, videos and read books on the subject that can help them to understand um, how they ended up the way they are. And the parents should be doing the same thing. I mean, most parents, when they have a gay child, you know, they lay down law, they lay down conditions, they they operate out of a performance-orientated law kind of a basis, which is not what Jesus came to provide. They need to express unconditional love to that child, no matter what the child ultimately decides to do. And it is that love that begins working in the heart of the child to open them up and begin to admit the grudges they've had, the vows they've made, the hatred perhaps they've harbored. And when those things are admitted and confessed and repented of, the Lord comes in with great power to help that person and great grace for when that person might fail along the way. Yeah, absolutely. And, and your words, as always, filled with grace and compassion from someone who received it from the Lord. Friends, go on YouTube, type in David Kyle Foster. If you've never watched such were some of you or transformed, watch them, sit down with friends, watch them together, and then get the book for yourself, for leader, for those who need it in their own lives, Sexual Healing Reference Edition. A Biblical Guide to Finding Freedom from Every Major Area of Sexual Sin and Brokenness. I was so impressed by the book, I wrote the forward to the new edition. David, keep up the good work. The Lord is with you. You too, Dr. Brown. God bless you. God bless.